warm mic. Lord, you are so good. Thank you for your voice speaking. Would you keep speaking in this house, Lord God? We just acknowledge that we do live on every word you speak. Amen. Um, so, I am going to be talking about sukkah. Uh, but it is not primarily going to be informational. I may share some information along the way. But, um, but you can be turning to Leviticus 23, starting in verse 33. But um, apart from, hey, here's some information about... Um, a feast ordained by the Lord and how it's traditionally observed and all of that stuff, I want to talk about what I see the Lord prophesying through it. The feasts are laid out um, and they are often attached with a commandment to remember. But I want to offer to you that, um, yeah, it's remembering something that the Lord did for Israel, that defined Israel. But even more importantly, it's remembering who he is, which also means that it wasn't something that happened and is in the past now. It's something that continues forward. And we know um, Jesus fulfilled some feasts, and he's going to be fulfilling some feasts. And you can talk to the Lord about whether or not he fulfilled all of them and is going to fulfill all of them again, or whether he fulfilled parts of them, like the first half, and then he's going to come back to fulfill the other half. Um, there's, there's lots of, I don't know, insight about those things. And I think like a lot of things have the Lord, he tell, uh, tells people things, and they're true. And then he tells people th other things, and they're true too. Um, so I feel a grace to not get hung up on some of those things and go, well, which one's right? But what is he saying through the Feast of Tabernacles, our Sukkot, to us right now? Leviticus 23, 33, and this is just where um, one of the places, because he commands the feasts a couple times, but one of the places where the Lord commands um, the feast. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, the 15th day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. So this is, we're in the seventh month of God's calendar. On the first day, they should be a holy convocation. You shall not do customary work on it. For seven days, you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything on its day. Besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days." You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So there's that, um, that memory thing, right? We're remembering an event that happened over... Um, a generation, but still an event in time. But it echoes forward and downward through time and still reflects who the Lord is and what he calls us to. Um, so the feasts are prophetic, not just ceremonial. 
Um, all of this, to also give some context, ends in Shemini Atzeret, which is um, kind of fun because there's like this eighth day that isn't Sukkot. Uh, it's not the official, what the Lord said, these are the days of booths, but the booths are left up and people, the um, observant Jews still eat out in it and it's been determined by the rabbis that that's okay because, hey, people like to eat outside, so it's not, not like they're observing the Feast of Booths for an extra day. They're just hanging out outside, and hey, the sukkah still seems to be up. Sukkah still seems to be up, so let's uh, eat out there uh, and observe the day where we pray for rain because this is the second rain of the year is coming, and we need it. We've just harvested the second harvest. We need this rain. It's going to set us up for next spring. Um, which is all to say that there is um, this festival, this, this feast commemorates something that happened, and it also marks the um, providence of God of providing the second harvest of the season. So it's tied into that as well. In uh, Exodus thirty-four twenty-two, there's a little summary of feasts, and you shall observe the feast of weeks, which is in the spring, of the first fruits of the wheat harvest, also in the spring, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end, which is the same thing as this, as Sukkot, um, also called the feast of ingathering. So the Lord himself also commands, observe this as a festival of thanksgiving um, for the harvest I've provided for you. So it's not just a hey, I took you through the desert. This is also a thank you, Lord, that this year, us who are living now, you have provided for us to eat. Uh, We're going to go to John 7. I always, um, I've always enjoyed the idea that this, end of the festival where we're still hanging out in these booths, which according to tradition, it's not spelled out in the Bible, but according to tradition, you can have flaps on the sides to keep the wind out, but the top has to be covered with natural, a natural covering. It's branches and stuff like that. And you have to be able to see starlight through it, which means rain gets through it. And here you are going, Lord, send rain while I'm sitting under a covering that will not keep the rain off of my head eating while eating. So... There's a beautiful um, vulnerability and in that, which is what I want to kind of highlight today, what I feel the Lord saying. This is what's prophetically um, contained within the Feast of Sukkot. Um, John 7, starting at 11. So we have a uh, recording John has recorded for us Jesus at the feast of Sukkot, um, which is one of the feasts that the men are required to come up to Jerusalem um, by law, and is one of the feasts that um, is established. I don't think I have the verse for it down the generations. Oh, maybe I do. I'll wait until we get there. Okay. Um, John 7, 11. The Jews sought Jesus at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he's good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Unfortunately, for some reason, John didn't let us know what it was he said when he went up and taught. It's kind of like, oh, this is like a, this is like a sad little, uh, to me, like it's sad for me. Uh, as I'm reading it, and I'm like, wait a minute. That would have been really cool to know what it was he decided to stand up and preach about. Um, but the Holy Spirit, for some reason, was like, don't include that. 
And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters having never studied? It was a good teaching, too. Like, they were like, whoa, that's good. <laughs> like, he really knows the law and the prophets. He's teaching out of whatever passage he's teaching out of, and he really understands it. And we don't get it because he seems like this yokel. Uh, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Um, so whatever it is he originally taught on, he did have a teaching lined up for the response, which is to say, you're marveling at this thing that I've presented to you. I received it from my father. It's not something that's my own, um, which is a beautiful thing at the moment where he's talking at this feast, which commemorates being like living in these tents that are temporary dwellings, um, going to that, what Jen prophesied about the treasure box and the treasure that's contained within. He's like, I, I am here as a vessel for what the Father wants to give the world. Um, I am not here to establish myself. Uh, John 1.14 The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus, um, in his, you know, it's defined as his, his earthly visit, um, ministry. That word dwelt is skenoo. It's a Greek meaning to encamp. Um, some translations actually translate it to and tabernacled among us to try to make it clearer. They're going to turn a noun into a verb and, um, and make sure we understand the roots there, that he, he tented, he encamped with us. Which is, uh, just going to sp spend a little time here, just like gazing at Jesus in this particular aspect of how he came. Uh, Matthew 8, 19, a scribe comes up to him and says, teacher, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Another like, that was a good, good teaching you just gave. So awesome. I can see something. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. And he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests and the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you willing to be fed like my father feet? Oh, that's just me. Sorry. <laughs> nowhere to lay his head. Um, which is to say, are we, um, or he's saying to, to the rich, to the scribe, are you willing to be fed like my father feeds the birds? Are you willing to be clothed like my father clothes the flowers of the field? Are you willing to step into this place where I am spending time here in this little tent purely just at the hand of my father? You know, you, you've got, he's a scribe, so he's got an established um, role in society. He's been educated. Um, he's probably got a, a good income, as it were. This is valued. And yet, Jesus is like, okay, you're really excited about what I'm sharing with you. Because, you know, this, this guy has um, spent his life learning uh, texts and what's in delving into them, and what's in them. And he's like, oh, this is exciting. You've got understanding. And I've spent my life searching for understanding. And Jesus is like, are you willing to come over the hurdle of that you're going to, if you follow me, you're not going to have that place to lay your head. You're not going to have a hole in the ground that's yours. We're going to go out, and we're going to um, travel through a wilderness, intense. Are you sure that's what you're signing up for? Let's go to Isaiah 53. 
or he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. So this is Isaiah's um, prophetic section that, that really points right to Jesus. I'm saying that awkwardly because like all the prophets point to Jesus, but all of what they wrote. But this, you know, he's like writing a biography, a little future biography of Jesus. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Again, the treasure box that, you know, can be a plain wooden box filled with gems, and it's not the box that matters. I was um, a little while back. I have a hard time because I, um, I get these things from the Lord, and then I like meditate and chew on them, and then I can't remember if I shared them <laughs> or if this is just I've been, um, I've had it before the Lord, so I'm gonna share it again, but. Uh, I was actually, I was praying specifically for vision and for specific things. And, um, and he said to me, like, I've got no vision to give you for the caterpillar, for the chrysalis. Um, and by that, he was just talking to me about, like, you know, like we, we, th- it's, it's, a, it's a little child thing that we talk about of like, oh, caterpillars turn into beautiful butterflies. It's such a wonderful thing, you know. Um, and yet, the chrysalis, you know, some of them are gorgeous. They're, they look like jewels. They look like, you know, the, probably the stereotypical one I think of, and probably most of us do, are those ones that they look like they're carved out of emerald with little bits of gold dotted on them. Is it monarchs? Yeah. And their whole point is that they're going to get torn apart and discarded. Like, all it is is a container, and it's so beautiful, but there's no eternal destiny for that, that chrysalis. It's, it's there for a reason, for something. And then what goes inside, on inside that chrysalis, is a horror like, it is something straight out of kind of the worst thing our imaginations can create on, like, a movie screen. That that caterpillar, which some of them are cute and fuzzy, a lot of them were kind of like, kind of like a worm, um, you know, goes in there and it liquefies. It loses everything that is it. And as far as I've read, you know, biologists are still pretty confused about how that creature can turn into mush, really the closest thing it can get to death, and then reform into a glorious, beautiful thing that, uh, that gets filled with light and, you know, a little living stained glass. And I think that's, that's what he was talking about. It's like, I have vision for butterflies. And you can waste a lot of time putting a lot of weight into asking me for vision for that chrysalis, which is supposed to be there for a moment and has its own beauty, but it's going to be gone. Or that caterpillar that's really going to be rendered down to goo before it becomes a thing that catches my light and shines it. Which is the same thing to say, um, the ark, Noah's ark. Like, man, he labored on that thing. It was huge for so long. And what was its destiny? Like, its purpose was to carry eight people and some animals and some seeds. But in the end, you know, it ended up rotting on a mountain. They probably took parts of it so they could make the tent and the the fences for the vineyard afterward and the farm that they needed. They probably, you know, pulled pieces out of it because there was a bunch of wood right there already 
Um, what? Yeah, maybe burn some of it to keep warm the first time, you know, the, the first time they emerged on a mountaintop. But there was nothing in that boat that was supposed to last. But there was an entire nation also. There's eight people and some animals, but there was an entire nation contained in that boat. Nations contained in that boat. And there was, you know, all of the future life on earth contained in that boat. Which is, to just bring it back to the tabernacle, is that this is a prophetic symbol of our lives and pretty much everything that we're doing right now. There is something glorious and beautiful that kind of looks like this in the next age, but isn't this. Um, back to our Lord. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely, he, you know, like his, his reputation, his um, body, all of these things were destined for death. His ministry, like I think last time or the time before I talked, you know, like it wasn't even established in a way that somebody looking in the natural would go, oh yeah, he laid a foundation before he left. It looked like at the point where he went to the cross, it was all for nothing. Um, It looked like a rickety old tent that if it happens to get really windy on that day, you run for the cave or the garage <laughs> because <oops. laughs> there's nothing lasting to it. Uh, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. We like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he is cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was stricken and they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him he's put him to grief when you make his soul an offering of sin he shall see a seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he's poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thank you, Yeshua. So then, if this is our Lord, how are we to be? Um, there's a lot in this passage that's, you know, that there is all that there's the physical going to the cross um, in this passage, but there's also a lot about his reputation, how people thought about him. Um, and the fact that he did not defend that at all. but trusted that in the end the Lord would establish, the Father would establish the Son. I think I want to go to 2 Corinthians 5. 
the Lord God who, um, the Son who was there at the very beginning and through whom, for whom all things were created, is I'm going to go hang out in a tent for a little while. to redeem us and to also demonstrate the path through the desert. 2 Corinthians 5, we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, that's that same word um, as the dwelling among us. This tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. Do we actually see this tent as temporary? Do we actually long for it to be replaced? There is a lot of weight in trying to preserve the thing that's meant to carry us a certain distance. And then let us go to be transformed into the next thing. This, it's tricky because what is this prayer room? Like, how much is this building part of the prayer room? How much of the individual us is part of this prayer room? Um, how much of the way we do things, like, how we do the mic and how we do the worship teams and when we meet is this prayer room. And how much are these things containers that are carrying something that is eternal and beautiful, like a seed that's going to grow into the bride of Christ? And how easy is it to look at this contain, these containers and be like, oh, it's so important what the container is get sort of sidetracked on that as opposed to it's so important what's being carried inside. I find myself doing this a lot lately, <laughs> just realizing in trying to describe things. Um, cupping, you know, something precious and beautiful. Living in a prophetic family, in a prophetic house, is all about having to continually remember that the things we are hearing from the Lord, getting them right is far less important than the fact that we're carrying them as faithfully as we can. And so whether or not, you know, how this thing functions, it's like the really important and beautiful thing about the choices that have been made into setting up this house are there's a bunch of people who keep going, okay, this is what the Lord's telling me. I'm going to be faithful in it. The beautiful part is not, oh, here's a structure that really works. It works because there's a bunch of people trying to be faithful in it. Let's go to Luke 17. Luke 17. One of the funny things about um, observing Sukkot is there aren't a lot of things to do. <laughs> Unlike Passover that has this whole traditional, like, here's a bunch of stuff to do. 
Sukkot is mostly about going out to your sukkah and eating three meals a day, reading some Bible. Um, there are some traditional prayers, but then there are traditional prayers for every single day of the year. But there are some traditional prayers for those days. Um, but mostly, it's about make a tent, eat your meals in it. And so um, we keep kind of going, okay, like what else should we be doing on next Friday? And I think we will actually have some things other to do other than just eating. But it's kind of funny because there's no prescribed things. You know, it's not like we can go, okay, let's get out the, the plan for the order of service and put out the ceremonial things and talk about them. If you want to bring decorations, feel free. Um, we are going to, the Lord has provided wild grapevines here on the property, which oddly, we have wild grapevines at our house too. I don't know, maybe that's just a Kalamazoo thing. Are there wild grapevines everywhere? Okay. Um, anyway, so we're going we're gonna to harvest some and uh, twine them around, and we've got some lights to put on it. But if you're like, I have got these gourds that I just really need to bring, feel free to, because that's, you know, it's a perfectly good harvest thing to decorate. I mean, whatever. You know, I have got the big tub of plastic grapes. I really need to add to the, you know, whatever the Lord puts on your heart to be like, I want to add some decorations. I've got some to bring. Okay, anyway, that was a side note. <laughs> Talking about the things. Luke 17. Then he said to the disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Um, offenses sounds like um, you hurt my feelings because um, that's how we talk about being offended, right? Um, but it also, it, it's broader. It's offenses like um, like you've committed an offense. <laughs> and uh, what this points to is people who make it easy for other people to fall into temptation. Those who make it um, who give others an opportunity to sin. So, for what that's worth, um, when we're reading this, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. And, like, you know, woe to all of us, because don't we all set each other up because of our own sin? Um, but for the Lord. So, thank you, Father, for your spirit and your forgiveness. Luke 17, 2. Um, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown to the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day he returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Um, I think this is really, I mean, this is a moment of a beautiful moment, as much as we talk about, there's like so many examples of the apostles just not getting it. But in this moment, they were like, whoa. They understood, like, we can't do that. We understand the weight of what you're saying. And they went right to what we need to forgive is faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Um, just to note, this mulberry is not the big tree that we used to have in the backyard with the purple berries that would fall over the place and make a huge mess. Um, it is not what we think of as an American mulberry. This is a mulberry fig. It is a type of fig tree. Um, it's also called a sycamore fig tree. So if you happen to be reading and you see a guy climb up in a fig, sycamore tree, it's not an American sycamore tree. It's not what we think of as a sycamore tree. It's a sycamore fig tree. These are the same tree. Um, yeah. Um, our, our crazy 2,000 years of Christian uh, culture, you know, pe people come upon new plants and go, I'm going to name it this thing I know recognize from the Bible. Um, and it gets really confusing. But I just say that because he says, uh, you can say to this mulberry, be pulled up by the roots and planted into the sea and it would obey you. And I just am increasingly um, convinced, shown, 
that the fig tree is used over and over and over again throughout Scripture as relying on works, as relying on the knowledge of good and evil for our sanctification instead of on the Spirit. And so it's not a random thing. It's not like, hey, there's a tree here, and I'm going to demonstrate to you that by faith you could do this magical thing. Um, it actually has a symbolism of taking your legalism and throwing it into judgment. The ocean is a symbol of judgment. The salt water, the place where the beasts of the ocean swim. Um, it's tied right back to their like, we don't have faith to forgive. And he's like, if you have faith, you're going to get past, well, I'm fairness, essentially. Like, it's not right what you did. And if you come to me and apologize about it, I'm just not sure. Are you really truly apologizing? Or are you just saying that? You know, like all the things we go through, right? That are really obvious in kids, but we get really good at like hiding them as we get older. Um, in this exchange back and forth where we want to hold on to like, I know what's right and I know what's fair. And I don't want to enter into that freedom of, Lord, give me faith to forgive 70 times 7. Which is... To tie it back to Sukkot, there is a faithfulness of just relying on the Lord in that place and going, you know what? I don't have to figure out what's fair, justify myself, explain to you. Be like, oh no, you got my motives all wrong. Let me, let me make sure to correct what you're seeing incorrectly because this little tent that is my reputation, it's here for a little while and it's gone. Luke 17, 33, a little farther down, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. These words are so familiar, but they are so, if we slow down and really engage with them, they are full of the fear of the Lord. Because there's no ambiguity in it. Like, he says, if you're going to hold on to this tent, you're going to die in it. If you let go of this tent, these things that are passing away, if you, you know, are just faithful in it until it's gone, you're going to find life on the other side. I'm going to wrap up with Ecclesiastes which I unironically, unironically say is, over the years, becoming my, one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, I don't know. It's a long section, so maybe it's premature to come up for response. Maybe once I get through it, I'll read it, and then I'll talk a little, and response can come up. Ecclesiastes, I'm going to read the entire book now, so I know. Um, Ecclesiastes actually is traditionally read on Sukkot, during Sukkot, which is kind of a little like, huh, and at the same time makes a lot of sense because of what I've been talking about. Um, if you see Ecclesiastes as mostly the writings of a depressed old guy, you probably should spend a little more time with it and talk to the Lord. Because I know, I know Ecclesiastes feels heavy to a lot of people. It feels like, okay, you know, now I just want to go eat a tub of ice cream and put on my pajamas and watch a Hallmark afterward kind of thing. But <laughs> that's not what it is at all. It is a beautiful book of freedom. 
Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go to Ecclesiastes 12 to save you reading the first 11 chapters at you. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 12, 1. Remember now, uh, this is the summary, you know, like how many, it's, anyway, never mind, side trail. I just love that it's got a summary. <laughs> like, there aren't a lot of books of the Bible where it's like, and now let me summarize what you just read for the first 11 chapters so you really get it. Um, <laughs> there are a couple. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 12. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain, in the day where the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they're few and those that look through the windows grow dim, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low. Also, they are afraid of height and of terrors in the way. When the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a bird and a desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. I'm going to pause there because that's, you know, that's the, like, <laughs> that's the I need some ice cream in my pajamas kind of stuff that, that we easily think of in Ecclesiastes. Um, but just to point out, you know, like, all of this is super metaphorical for one guy, at the end, you know, one old guy at the end of his life going, whoa. Um, but isn't this also like the days we're in? You know, you can see people who have no discernment for the judgments of, of the Lord saying right now, everything just doesn't seem to work anymore. Like, it's just this thing that was so easy now is just broken. And I can't, you know, what, what happened to it? I could order this and it would just show up and you know, kind of things. It's just, it's all kind of at that point where it's like the sound of the grinding is low. Musicians are like brought low. They're not singing anymore. Everybody's afraid of stumbling. Like, oh, we got to make sure. You're like, we're all guarded in. We say exactly the right thing because a lot of people are going to be mad. If we aren't really, really, really careful about what we put out there, all of these things. So these are these days. And this is the direction of our earthly life, is to feel this way. And Ecclesiastes 12.6, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well, which are all just extremely poetic ways of before you die. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And he says all is vanity, but in other places he says everything under the sun is vanity, right? He doesn't, he's not actually saying, there is nothing that isn't futile. He's saying everything natural, everything of this earth, everything I've tried to prop up, save up, is vanity. Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. I mean, he's, he did get done earlier in the book saying, like, even wisdom, even all the proverbs I've written, they're pointless. Right? Like, what is the use? You tell somebody you're being foolish and they're just going to argue with you. And if you don't tell them they're going to be foolish, they're just going to keep going on in it. It's all pointless, right? And yet he was, he still was like, no, this is still a pursuit to teach, to seek wisdom. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these of making many books. There's no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is 
Like the Ecclesiastes is the caterpillar dissolving into goo and then being reformed and breaking free of that shell it made for itself. It is, yeah, all of this is destined to go. Like, we live on a planet that is covered in the death of generations and generations. I mean, we dig up liquefied death in order to keep our lights on and our cars going. And there's so much of it there that we can actually turn it into energy. And that the plants all over the earth, you know, like what we think of as dirt is a little bit mineral and mostly all the dead plants that were before them. But there's so much life coming up out of that death. And it should be, like, it's really clear, like Paul writes, that like God's glory is written across creation. And death was introduced at the fall, and the Lord was like, I'm going to show you my glory even through this. And as we were singing, you know, there is a, a hope we're headed towards where there is no death and no more tears anymore. But that's the bit that's saved out of all of this. That's the thing that's carried in that temporary dwelling place on into the next age. And if we try to carry the tent with us, we cling to it and get destroyed with it at the appointed time. And I said I was going to invite... Oh, you're deciding? Do I need to keep going? Because Okay, come on up. We've been talking a lot. The Lord has been talking a lot about love in this place. And if, when, we receive the faith to let go of the temporary things and just keep stepping forward faithfully with the Lord. It's going to make room for more love. When we can see what is destined for destruction and what is destined for eternity, it's going to make room for more love. So, Father, I want to ask that, like, I just, I, um, I have actually spent a lot of time in the last couple of years um, going back again and again to things that are perishing and asking you to save them. And you just refuse because you are good. So, Lord, um, we just take us a little farther in. Lord, as we celebrate Sukkot this Friday, as we um, eat under a makeshift temporary dwelling, we just let this prophetic thing you've established for generations and even into the next millennium. Would you let it sink in? Let it actually touch the place um, where we are. Lord, I want to be vulnerable like you. Where you spread your arms wide let the people that you loved and came for drive nails into them. I just want to be like that. Where you even said from that place, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Lord, would you grow love here? Grow faith. 
intersection the the voice of wisdom is always calling out to make a choice to let this life go um, God just thank you that it's over and over and over again and that it, you're so merciful you're so um, rich in patience and mercy and that there's just another chance another chance and so Lord um, I just like just lay down the regret of choices um, of not just not heeding the voice of wisdom but just thank you Lord that I know before the day ends I'll probably have a good dozen decisions that I can make that I can let it go I can let it die and that your voice will be like there calling out at every one of those junctures. for being the first fruits of this death and proof that it works and, and that you were tempted to preserve your life in every way that I possibly could and um, that you are the testimony of overcoming. Um, so we just thank you, um, Lord. Um, and I just see like that, that staff with the snake on it being held up. Um, and Lord, 
just thank you that you were willing to go up on that cross to be lifted up. Um, and, and I just see you, like, I see you, I see the staff with the snake, and I see the cross, and I see you hanging there, Jesus, that you, you went first. And so, um, I believe that you're, you are enabling me to follow you. seed but if it dies it produces many seeds Lord I, I thank you for just yet another example as David describes this whole chrysolite uh, process and just <laughs> what a visual of this thing melting into nothing and then being recreated and um, just like that was just just makes me think about the whole idea of a living sacrifice like it's not a complete death, but it feels like it. And so, Lord, I just pray for um, courage to and vision to continue to um, um, allow you to melt me down um, to recreate, Lord. Um, I thank you that your plans are good, like, as has often been talked about, like, you know the right amount of pressure to reach us at the deepest heart level to get the greatest result. And so, Lord Jesus, we just want to um, cooperate with you, what you're doing, and trust. Um, I want to I want to have vision of knowing that <clears throat> I, the, 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 the real counting it all joy, um, because knowing that um, this is the journey, the process of, of melting down to be recreated into something else, that gives you glory. So, Lord, I just pray for a, a fresh feeling of uh, joy in the journey. In Jesus' name, amen.
refresh us. You would um, pull that golden cord to cinch us together um, that Annie has prophesied about. And um, yeah, I'm just asking for the sweetness of your presence to be with us on Friday.